Dear Father, as we come before you today, we really pray that uh, you, as the author of your word, will give us the Holy Spirit to guide us in our hearts so that we may understand your word. But more than just understand it, but to apply in our lives, because truly this passage tells us how we should live as we look forward to the future. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, um, over the last, uh, actually no, it was just yesterday actually. Uh, yesterday when I was uh, at uh, the English Presbytery AGM, someone was telling me that they had LASIK. I said, whoa, okay, that sounds uh, a bit uh, dangerous, right? He said, uh, but you know, you only live once in your life, right? You only have one life to live. And that was really ir- ironic because only a couple of hours before that, I met someone else for lunch. And uh, he ordered this plate of nasi lemak. And it was full of oily fried egg, fried chicken and everything else. I said, well, that looks really unhealthy. And he said exactly the same thing. You only have one life to live. And uh, I was sort of thinking, well, that actually fits in really well with uh, the introduction of my sermon. Because, you know, when we live life, you've only really got one chance to live life in a way. This is what these people are saying, right? I mean, you know, when you live life, you don't really get a chance to have a do-over. Okay, a, a do-over is a very American way of saying that, you know, you get things to go again, to do it over all over again. It reminds me of uh, when you play golf, there's this thing called a mulligan. Okay, so let's say you, you're teeing up, you hit the ball into the water, you shout out mulligan, and you put the, another ball there, and you hit another one, right? But life isn't like that. You don't get a second chance many times, you live it once, and you theoretically only have one shot at it, and you better make sure that you do it right. And I think that uh, given that life is like that, that you've only really got one life to live, and you live it out, and uh, whatever mistakes you have, you can't really go and redo it again, it's really important to live it well. It's really important to make the right decisions. And I think that uh, without the benefit of experience, uh, many times we don't make the right decisions in our life. And that's where the book of Proverbs, I find, personally for myself, is so helpful. Because it teaches me, and I hope it teaches you, how to live in this world. Uh, Whether we are young, whether we are old, whether we are wise or not, or discerning, it teaches us how we should live, what decisions we should make. And chapter 9, as we've read today, is really what many people think is the high point of the book of Proverbs. It's like, if you could think of Proverbs as a landscape, then chapter 9 is like the the mountain peak, right? It's a high point for which, you know, all the rest of Proverbs sort of, uh, you know, revolves around. Now, for those of you who have done the Bible study, you'll know that actually the book of Proverbs uh, is separated into two parts. Okay, the structure of the book of Proverbs is separated into two parts. There's chapter 1 to 9, which is really an extended introduction, which tells you why you should read Proverbs, and also has a few parts about the danger of sexual morality. Then there's chapter 10 to 31, which is all about one or two or three verses of Proverbs, which sort of make you stop and think. Okay, so there are two sections, there's chapter 1 to 9 and chapter 10 to 31. And... Chapter 9 is like the, the end of the introduction and it's a great challenge for the reader, which is you and me, hopefully we're reading the book of Proverbs, to choose between wisdom or choose between folly. Okay, as we read there in the passage, uh, wisdom and folly are sort of uh, shown as embodiments of, of women. Okay, so you know, do you choose Madam Folly or do you choose Lady Wisdom? Now, as we were looking to chapter 9 there, as it was read to us by Greg, uh, you might sort of think, you know, it's sort of a bit jumbled up as well. You know, what is the structure of it? How do we understand uh, how chapter 9 sort of fits together? Well, I think that uh, 
it fits together in a hamburger structure, okay? I, I'm sure I've said that to you in some other passages, but it, it really does. So if you have a look up here on this slide, okay, you'll see that if you, if you actually sat down and uh, open your Bible, I hope that all of you have your Bibles here, uh, you, can, you can even highlight your Bibles. I, I've done that with my Bible, okay? It's, it's called the, uh, the Wide Margin Bible, and you can write notes, and I've actually highlighted it. And you can actually see that there's a, there's a structure like a hamburger, where it begins with uh, Lady Wisdom, and then it ends with a contrast with Madam Folly. Or, I don't know what people say, you know, Lady Wisdom, or Madam Wisdom, or Miss Folly, whatever, whatever abbreviation you want to give her, right? So there's a contrast between Wisdom and, and Folly, the two women. But then, in between the, the, the buns of the hamburger, you've got a contrast between the wise man and the mocker. Okay, so in verse... Nine, 7 to 9, there's a contrast between the wise man and the mocker. And in verse 12 again, it talks about the wise man and the mocker. And the meat in the hamburger, right in the middle of the heart of the hamburger, is verse 10 to 11, which is the fear of the Lord. And I think that if you actually uh, looked at the, the chapter 9 this way, it, it begins to un, un, unpack itself and unravel itself so that it becomes much easier to understand what the passage is actually saying. So let's look at the first section first, which is the contrast between uh, Madam Wisdom and Miss Folly. Okay, or I don't know what the Bible study said, maybe Madam Wisdom and Lady Folly or whatever, okay? So let's look at the first section and look at the first contrast. Okay, now I'll put it up for you here, next slide. It might be a bit small, if you have your Bibles, it's probably better, you can sort of take notes. But you'll notice that there's actually a, a, a two almost parallel invitations by these two women. It begins... By talking about Madam Wisdom. And it says, Wisdom has built her house and she has hewn out its seven pillars. She has also prepared, or she has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table and she has sent out her maids and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come in here, she says to those who lack judgment. Come and eat my food and drink the wine I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live and walk in the way of understanding. Now, if you turn to verse 13, okay, you're given a contrast to the woman folly. The woman folly is loud. She's undisciplined and without knowledge. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come in here, she says to those who lack judgment. Stolen water is sweet, Food eaten in secret is delicious, but little do they know that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of the grave. Now these two women uh, are quite similar in the sense that they are both calling out from the highest point of the city. You can almost imagine that maybe they are on opposite ends of the street right? or maybe they are just next to each other. And they are calling out to the same group of people. Okay? They are called the simple. Uh, actually, uh, the more um, rude way of saying it is they are the brainless. Okay, that's what literally the, 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 the language says, to the simple, to the brainless, to those who lack judgment. And the first thing that we notice is, that there are only two ways uh, that you can live. You can choose to follow or embrace, or go to the party or the house of wisdom, or you can go to the party or the house or embrace uh, lady folly. Because what you're looking at here is not a pub crawl, right? It's not like, you know, I go to one party, you know, from 7 to 10, and then uh, after that, you know, I go to the other party, 
from 10 to, to 1 or whatever, right? You can't go to the party of Lady Wisdom and then after go to Madame Foley's house later, right? You, you either choose to go to one party or the other. And you can see that because in verse 6, right? If you have a look up here in verse 6, it talks about how uh, Madame Wisdom says, leave your simple ways and you will live, walk in the way of understanding. So what uh, going to one person's house or enjoying one person's party literally is, is the way that you live. It is the way that you walk. And walking, in the book of Proverbs, is all about living. It's the life you live. So basically the challenge or the choice that the reader is presented with is what is the life are you, that you're living? What is the choice uh, that you make in terms of living? Do you live it wisely or do you live it foolishly? And I think that uh, if you can think of it that way, then life makes sense, isn't it? Uh, before I was a pastor, I was um, working as a management consultant for only six months before I didn't like it. But I remember going to this career seminar where this guy was talking about careers. And uh, this guy was saying that life is like a, a set of rail, a railroad track. You know, like a railroad track? And he says, he was saying, you know, once you start along a particular route in your career, it's very hard for you to go to another career. So, you know, let's say when you're doing your OOA levels, you study science and then you go on to study engineering, then you become an engineer. You can't halfway through your life decide to become a lawyer. Because, you know, life doesn't work that way. You know, it's, 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 that's not the way careers work. If you decide to become a surgeon, it's very hard for you then to become, uh, you know, a, a, a journalist or something. You know, it, it, it doesn't work that way. So, in the same way, this is what this passage is saying, you know, do you choose a life persistently following foolishness in terms of your orientation? Or do you follow a life persistently following wisdom in your orientation? So what's the difference between the two lifestyles, the two orientations? Well, wisdom is seen to be hard at work, if you look at this passage. She's, she's building a house. She's hard working, right, it says there. And what a house it is, because it says there, that it is built with seven pillars. Now, what is the seven pillars? Uh, some people say it's the seven days of creation, the seven churches of the book of Revelation. What could it mean, right? Well, I think seven pillars just basically means what it means. It's, like it's a very sturdy house. It's a very big house. Uh, because in those days, you know, pillars hold up the, the house. And if you have seven pillars, seven is a picture of uh, perfection in the Bible. It's a, it's a very big, sturdy house. It's not a house which is about to fall down or collapse on you. Okay? It's just like when Jesus talks about the house built on solid rock. Uh, that's the same picture that we are seeing here. You know, wisdom builds this sturdy house and she's inviting people to come in. And not only is she hard at work building this house, it says there in the next verse, in verse 2, uh, two she's also preparing her meat and mixing her wine. Now, in ancient days, meat was a rarity. Okay? It's not like today where we have meat for every meal, right? or, or more than once a day. But in those days, meat was a rarity, and wine was not something which you, you gave out very liberally. Right? It's, wine was expensive. So, not only did she have good wine, but she took the trouble to mix her wine. Now, it doesn't mean that she diluted her wine right, with water, so it's not make it last longer, but she mixed it with honey or spices to make it taste better. So, wisdom here has taken a lot of trouble in building this house and mixing her wine and inviting people to come in. But on the other hand, look at the way folly is described. Because in verse 13, 
the woman folly is described as loud. Uh, basically, she's very flashy. She's very noisy. She's very brash. And, and folly doesn't seem to be doing any work at all. right? In verse 14, she's sitting at the door of her house. She's sitting there and she's, maybe some people say she's lazy. She doesn't bother to even stand up to call people. And she doesn't seem to have even made any food at all. The food in verse 17 that she offers is stolen. Stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. Now, on first observation, you might sort of say, well, it's a no-brainer. Why would anybody want to go and eat and go to the party of Lady Folly or Madam Folly or Miss Folly, right? Why would you go to that party when you have the, this other invitation to go to Madam Wisdom's house when there's a sturdy house, meat and wine? Well, I think that if you look at it more closely, the problem is that wisdom, the challenge of wisdom, the challenge or the invitation of Madam Wisdom involves change. Right? It involves you changing your life. Because in verse 6 here, it says, Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of understanding. So, Man of Wisdom has, has this great banquet ready for you. It's a beautiful house. But if you want to go and follow, uh, go to this party uh, of uh, Madam Wisdom, you want to embrace her, then it requires you to change. And that's where it becomes difficult. Because... It, this idea of change is the idea of repentance, turning your life around and acknowledging that you're wrong. And that's why uh, C.S. Lewis says that the change or repentance is no fun at all. Because change uh, means killing a part of yourself. Uh, change means undergoing a kind of death and saying that I, I'm not living the right way and I'm going to choose to live a, a different way. And that's why Madam Wisdom... Uh, maybe even though her invitation is so attractive, finds it hard to get people to follow her. Because Miss Folly, actually, when she invites you to her party, demands no change at all. In fact, uh, Madam Folly uh, actually says you can indulge yourself. Instead of changing your life around, you can actually indulge more and more with what you, you, you really want, your sinful nature. That's why she offers you stolen water, food eaten in secret. Right, it's the idea of giving in to temptation, giving in to uh, whatever feels good. Now, if we read uh, chapter 1 to 9, stolen water, food eaten in secret, is used to refer to sexual immorality, okay, sexual sin, things done in the dark. But I think it's a broader sense than that in this passage. It's the sense where uh, following Miss Folly is the idea of doing things which uh, are sinful, which feel forbidden. You know, forbidden fruit uh, sometimes is, is, is a very attractive thing. And I think that that's the language of today. Right? I'm not sure last time whether you, you noticed when you went to all the 7-Eleven, they used to have those advertisements for the Magnum ice cream. Do you all ever eat Magnum ice cream? Yeah, you all do, right? Remember the ad for Magnum Ice Cream? Or maybe only the men uh, noticed the ad because, you know, they had Eva Longoria, right? Advertising Magnum Ice Cream, right? And then it says something about how this is the most sinful chocolate or something like that, right? And, and, and you know, we sort of think of, of pleasure in a sinful way, right? You know, a really rich dark chocolate is called, or ch chocolate cake is called really sinful, 
you know, or something really good is called wicked, or if something is really exciting, it's called really nasty, right? Or I can't remember, I was seeing the newspaper just last week and said something naughty is nice. I can't remember what it's advertisement for. Something is advertisement for something, I can't remember, but it was there, right? And that's the sort of idea that Miss Polly is offering. It's like sort of saying that, you know, what I'm offering you is, is, that, is that something which is slightly sinful, but it's got, you're going to enjoy it. But is that really true? Because here there are two types of food being offered. Stolen water, food eaten in secret, the finest meats and the finest wines. So which one will really satisfy in the long run? If you really sit down and you think about it, will folly really satisfy in the long run or will wisdom? Well, I think that if you just think just for a moment about the type of food being offered, then you'll say that the food offered by following wisdom is what really satisfies in the long run. Uh, what folly, following folly offers is, is, is stuff which is tasty, but in the end will make you feel ill. It's a bit like when my kids, uh, they like eating McDonald's after their tuition. So we always go to McDonald's and, and they always buy uh, fries. Now I don't know about you, but uh, whenever um, they bring the french fries into the car, the whole car smells of french fries. You know, it's a really pungent, nice aroma. It makes you, you know, when I'm, eat, when I'm driving the car, everybody else is eating french fries except me. I don't know about you, but I'm sort of thinking, I really wish I had some french fries because it smells so nice, right? But then when you, when you eat a couple of those french fries, after a while you sort of think, you know, this is really unhealthy for you and it's also, your mouth is just really oily. And I think that that's, and that's the same thing, you know, folly is like that. Okay, you know, it's really attractive and nice to begin with, but after a while, it doesn't, it doesn't satisfy anymore. And in fact, it makes you feel slightly ill. So like this, uh, Hugh Palmer was giving this illustration uh, of this African pastor, he said. He said, you know, uh, I was looking for joy, but the devil gave me fun. I was looking for peace, but the devil gave me entertainment. I was looking for meaning, but the devil gave me excitement. You see, we're, we're, think, we're looking for things which are really meaningful and lasting, but instead we get, we get substitutes which are fulfilling in the short term, but not in the long term. I remember talking uh, to a friend of mine, <coughs> and uh, he, he, he referred to marriage, I don't know whether you've got friends like this, as a, a ball and chain. You know, marriage is a ball and chain. I said, you know, he saw marriage as a real... Um, slavery. And he said it like that, you know, he said, you know, uh, you know, making love to one woman uh, all your life is like reading only one book all your life. Have you heard that before? Right, you know, like, if you, if you only have one woman who you can make love to all your life, it's like, can you imagine just reading one book all your life? He said, wouldn't you prefer to have a library where you could you know, read, read all the books that you want? But then statistics uh, have shown, studies have shown uh, all over the world that the people with the most satisfying sexual life are those in a monogamous, long-term uh, relationship, right, who are married. In fact, in America, those people with strong religious belief in a lifelong monogamous relationship report the most high satisfaction in terms of their sexual life and their, and their happiness. But then that's not what you're told in the media or when you watch television or uh, when you read a newspaper, right? P- people often give up these things for the stolen water and the food eaten in secret uh, for pornography or one night stands. But do they satisfy in the end? 
No, they don't. They don't satisfy in the end. But not only does it not satisfy in this life, if you look at verse 6 and you look at verse 18, the danger in following a lady folly or, or madam folly is that in the end it leads to death, isn't it? That's what it says there uh, in verse 18. But little do they know that the dead are there and that her, her guests are in the depths of the grave. Uh, whereas in verse 6, if you follow wisdom, uh, you will live, it says there. So therefore, whichever party you go to, whichever house you go to, will, will not just have a short-term uh, impact on your life here and now, but it, it will impact life and death in the hereafter. Now, taken in just the book of Proverbs, like I said last week, we, you know, is life and death just clinically dead, meaning clinically alive, or what the doctor would call life and death. I don't think so in terms of reading Proverbs in the whole Bible, because I think when it speaks of following wisdom and folly and life and death, I don't think God is just talking about a few years here and there, right? but He's talking of more permanent uh, life and death, eternal life and eternal death. See, in James chapter 1, our next slide, and look at what James says in the book of James in the New Testament. But each one of you is tempted when by his own desire he is dragged away and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Right? So, in the book of James, death here is not talking about physical death or clinical death, but eternal death. So, you, if you follow folly, not only will you have short-term satisfaction and long-term disappointment, but it will also lead to uh, judgment and hell. The problem is, if you look at this uh, passage, it's really deep, right, when you think about it. The problem is, next slide, the problem is, folly is without knowledge, and, and those who go to her also are without knowledge. The, the theme of knowledge is very strong in, the book, in, in chapter 1 to 9, right? It's like, if you're foolish and you live a foolish life, actually you don't think about what happens in the future. You just think about whether you enjoy life now. Isn't that true? You know, many times when you do foolish things, you don't think about the, the repercussions of what's, what, you, what you're doing in the, you know, for the future. What the impact of your actions today will be for tomorrow. So, here, following Lady Folly is the same thing. She doesn't know. She doesn't care what's going to happen to her in the future. And people who follow her, they don't know and they don't care what's going to happen in the future as well. And what do they care about? The only thing they care about is whether they enjoy themselves. Isn't that what it's all about? If you live life just to enjoy life for now, without thoughts of what's going to happen in the future, then you are living a life of folly. But the wise person, the wise person, will always walk in the way of understanding because they are living for the future. So I remember <coughs> there was this uh, pastor called Mark Diva, and he uh, was sharing about this preacher called Hooper who lived in the time of the Reformation. And apparently Hooper went to the stake because he preached uh, justification by faith alone and he believed that you were saved by only believing in Jesus. And he was about to be burnt at the stake. And uh, he was walking to the stake and, uh, you know, fire, bonfire was getting all ready for him. And then someone in the crowd shouted to him, you know, recant, that means change your mind, right? Because life is sweet and death is bitter. And then <coughs> Hooper thought for a second 
And he answered the man, he said, Life to come is more sweet, and death to come is more bitter. Right, so he, here was someone who was very aware that there was just not this, this life, but the life to come. And the decisions, decisions that he made in this life would actually affect where he would be later. And that's what it would be for the wise person, because the wise person thinks about what's going to happen in the future, and not just for today. Now, obviously, uh, for many of you, you all know the O-level results came out last week, right? So, uh, for those of you who are studying, you know, you know there are many uh, people who are studying for the O-levels uh, this year in our church. I think like, we counted there seven people studying for the O-levels this year in our church, right? See, if you have no thought of the future, then you live for today. What do you do? You just play, 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 right? But if you know that the O-levels are coming in August this year, then you will study, right? But the same thing, you see, the wise person thinks of the future. And in the same way, the wise person recognizes that there is eternal life and eternal death in the future, and he lives in the wise way, or she lives in the wise way today. Now, the next contrast, next slide, okay, <coughs> the middle section of the hamburger, contrast between the mocker and the wicked person and the wise and the righteous person. Now, you all know what a mocker is, right? Mocker is not what you buy from Starbucks, okay? Okay? Uh, mocker is where someone is always making fun, always, you know, making fun of things in a bad way, okay? And here it says that there, just as there are two paths to live, two orientations to wisdom and foolishness, there are two sorts of people in this world. And, and the book of Proverbs divides them into the mocker, the wicked person who's, who mocks things, who laughs at things, insults things, and the wise and the righteous person. And they're not divided by how rich they are, their IQ, or how old or wise they are, but they're based on how willing they are to learn, isn't it? How willing they are to learn. Because actually when you read this section, both Lady Wisdom and Lady uh, Folly, they're appealing to the same people. And it's actually quite insulting, the simple, right? Nobody likes to be called the simple. Basically, it's called the brainless. Okay, the brainless. Nobody wants to be known as the brainless. Nobody wants to feel that they need to be taught. Everybody feels that they really are, have enough information to be the teachers. But look at what happens when you, you correct the mocker. Well, if you look at the mocker, if you correct the mocker, what happens? The mocker will insult you. The mocker will abuse you. Uh, maybe uh, verbally, maybe physically, who knows? And it says that the mocker will hate you. And, 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 and therefore, this person will continue to live their wicked life. The wise person, well, if you correct the wise person, what happens? They will love you. And they will become even wiser and they will add to their learning and they will live righteously. So, when you are faced with Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, how do you respond? Do you, do you, do you hate it when people tell you that there's something wrong with you? Do you abuse people or insult them? when people tell you that you're not doing the right thing? Or do you love them? Uh, C.S. Lewis said that it is more dangerous to be a proud, self-righteous and arrogant person than to be a prostitute. In this book that I was reading. Because the prostitute can recognize the need for salvation, but the proud, self-righteous and arrogant person will never be instructed. And I think that's true, isn't it? Because if you're proud, if you're arrogant and you're self-righteous, you will never 
you'll never sit under anybody's teaching. You always feel that I, I know everything already and, and I, I don't need to change. So, how do you react this week? <coughs> or maybe this year? This year is very short. Maybe last year. When someone pointed out something wrong to you, how did you react? Did you react with self-justification and mock them? Did you hate them for it? I, I don't know what someone might have pointed out to you that you didn't do very well. Maybe, who knows, if you were driving, your language, your behavior. Someone pointed out something to you. How did you react? Uh, did you want to learn? Did you love them for telling you that, that you did something wrong? Now, I remember when I was driving, okay, I, I'm, I'm sure... Uh, not everybody drives, but the first thing you do when you drive is to be a learner driver. You know, you always put the L plates on your car, or actually you, 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 you get the instructor's car and he's got the L plates on it. But it's very uh, embarrassing, I find, to be a, a, a learner driver. Because, right? you know, you, everybody has no respect for you. you. You are like the lowest person on the road. You know, everybody's like, avoiding you. People are, you know, like shaking their head. At you, you know, because you, you know, they think that you're such a lousy driver. And it's really humbling, isn't it? You can't wait to get out of your L plates and become a P plate and then finally have no plates at all. But the Bible actually says that we must always have our learner plates on because we are always learners. We must always be in a position where we are not proud and arrogant, <coughs> where we feel that we can never be instructed by God's word. Other people. So this uh, pastor observed <coughs> that uh, when people come to church, a Bible study, he said, do they come to learn? Uh, this pastor was saying, so do they take notes and reflect on their life and change and, re- and, and, and come with an attitude of learning when they come to the Bible study or the church or when they do their own quiet time? Do they come with an attitude of learning? Because he said that some people, uh, I don't know what his church was like, he said some people go to his church and they, and they come to church with an attitude to teach others or to judge others. And they leave angry if, ever, any, if ever anybody points out any little thing wrong with their life. And uh, he gave this illustration about how John Wesley was 86 years old. And he was at a pastor's gathering. And in this pastor's gathering, a young pastor uh, criticized an older pastor. <coughs> and uh, there was this big, big argument. And John Wesley said that, he wished that people would point out things wrong in his life and anybody who pointed out anything wrong in his life, he would consider his friend. I wonder whether we're like that or not. Do, do we, do we, are we open to being instructed or do we feel that we have all the answers? And if you're not a Christian, then in the same way, are you open to actually learning about the Bible or learning about what God says or are you a mocker? So again, uh, this pastor was saying, you know, there are three ways uh, as a non-Christian that you mock. Uh, you know, you mock God, you mock sin, or you mock what the Bible says. Right? Do you do that? Do you mock God? Do you mock sin? Or do you mock what the Bible says? And he gave this illustration about how uh, this guy was in England. He said he gave this book to someone, a Christian book. And uh, when the guy came back, instead of seriously considering what that book said and arguing trashing it out with this person about what the, this book was saying, this guy said, oh, I will gladly go to the public burning of this book. Right? So rather than address this book on the terms of its merits or whether it was historical or whether it was logical, 
this person was just mocking the book and said, I, would, I, I, I want to burn this book. Instead of actually coming back to this person and said, is it true? Why does it say this? And, all, and being sincere about understanding it. In the same way, I remember challenging someone once who was guilty of adultery. <coughs> and, I, and I was saying, you know, you shouldn't commit adultery. And then the person's answer to me was not to actually address whether it was right or wrong to commit adultery. He said, oh, you know, you Christians, you are so holy, holy, right? You know, what, what right do you have to judge me? Or, or who, who are you to say that? You know, uh, are you better than me? See, so rather than address the question, rather than consider that his behavior was wrong, he, he attacked the, or oh, actually he attacked me, right? So, so he attacked the person who was pointing out the behavior. He was abusing me and hating me. But the Bible says that the attitude to wisdom must always be one of humility, coming to learn and be willing to change. Now remember, if you look up here on, on this passage, um, this is uh, the account of Jesus as he's hanging on the cross. And uh, as he's dying on the cross, there were two people uh, hanging on the cross beside him. One of, both of them were thieves. In the verse 39, it says, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. In verse 40, But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. So if you look up here on this just this short snippet of the life of Jesus, you have two men, and one is mocking Jesus, and the other one is actually coming to Jesus and saying he needs salvation. Uh, one is hanging on the cross and saying, look, you know, I'm not that bad a person, and the other person saying, I deserve what I'm getting. And what is the outcome? The outcome is one is saved, and the other one is uh, judged. And that's why, uh, ultimately, the choice or where you go will depend on what attitude you have to instruction. Whether you are a mocker or whether you are a wise person. And in verse 12, the next slide, right, verse 12 says a very profound thing. Because verse 12 says, If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. And that's a very profound truth because the choice you make ultimately will affect you and you more than anybody else. Yes, okay, you might be a very foolish person, you might be drunkard and destroy your family. Yes, other people get affected. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, who suffers? It is you. You alone will suffer more than anybody else for eternity. Uh, your parents might cry for you. Your friends might pray for you. Uh, you might have other people who will care for you. But ultimately... Who suffers if you're a fool? You will suffer. And if you're wise, you will be rewarded for it. So the stakes are very high. This is not just uh, choosing to be wise and foolish, so you know, I get a few bucks here and there, or maybe I live a few years more. But whether you're wise or foolish, whether you're a mocker or instructable, will determine uh, what happens in the long run for you in eternity. So now we come to the middle of the passage, the meat, next section, next uh, um, slide. And it says in verse 10, um, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, 
and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through me your days will be many and years will be added to your life. Now, uh, here again, if uh, you were here last week, you will see that this passage is exactly the same as chapter 1 verse 7. In chapter 1 verse 7, for you, those of you who have your Bibles, you can look back. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. Uh, you notice it's slightly different here, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Because it's talking about lady wisdom. But there's one thing extra here. There's another verse. It says there in verse 11, For, the word for here means because. Because through me, because through God, your days will be many and your years will be added to your life. Now, is God just talking about 10, 12, 20, 30, 40 years extra? What is God talking about? Uh, maybe you live past your retirement age. You become the oldest man who lives in Singapore. Who knows, right? Is that something we should aspire to? I think it's, it's more than that, isn't it? It's actually talking about eternal life because surely the following of God, God gives you more than just a few more years. And I think that, again, if we look at the book of Proverbs and the whole of the Bible, uh, God talks about uh, the rewards of following him is more than just a few more years in our short life. So Deuteronomy chapter 11 verse 20, right? It talks about many. What does it mean to have many years, right? So write them on your door, on the door frames of your houses, on your gates. This is the, the the law, right? So that your days and days of your children may will be many in the land that the Lord swore to give to your forefathers, as many are the days that the heavens are above the earth, right? So the the many days can be a very long time. But in Luke chapter 12, it, you know, Jesus tells uh, the disciples why they should fear God. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after killing the body has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So what is the basis of fearing God? The, the basis of fearing God is not just a few years, but the basis of fearing God is, is eternal judgment in hell versus eternal life. Because it is impossible to be wise without knowing the fear of the Lord. Because how do I get wise in the face of death without the fear of the Lord? How do I get wise in terms of learning how to live in this world without fearing God? Because the fear of God, as we said last week, is not uh, the emotion of terror, but the attitude of actually reverencing God, trembling and bowing before God. Now, I think that that's something that we really need to hear today because whenever we, we think of God these days, we, are very, we have this idea of a great intimacy with God. And God is my best friend. No? Or, you know, we sing a song, Jesus is, uh, you know, uh, my, what a friend we have in Jesus, right? So we get the idea that, you know, Jesus is just my buddy. But actually, God and Jesus... They, they are so great and powerful, they have such power of judgment and eternal life over us, that our attitude be, should be one of fear and reverence before God. Uh, I went to um, St. George's Anglican Church a few months ago, during my day off, just to visit. And <coughs> very, very nice church actually. It's, it's open air, and, you know, it's really open, all the breeze comes through. And they sit on these old benches, much more uncomfortable than what you're sitting on today. Right? I, I, I honestly feel that BTPC has the most comfortable chairs of all the churches I've been to. Okay? And uh, these chairs, are, these benches are really interesting because when I went to sit on them, they have these um, 
uh, like these footrest things with cushions on it which fold out. And I was sitting there, I was thinking, wow, this, this church is quite cool, you know. They even give you like the airplane footrest, okay? All you need is for the bench to sit, to lean back a bit, and then I'll be really comfortable. But then, I didn't realize, because halfway through the, the, the service, when they were praying, the people got on these footrests, and they were praying, kneeling down. And, and, they, and I realized, that actually, these things are not footrests at all. They're for kneeling when you're praying. Then I realized, that actually, in, in a way, Okay, just because you kneel down doesn't mean you have attitude of fearing God. But, but actually, it does symbolize something, isn't it? Because when you kneel before God, you are actually reverencing Him. You are actually bowing before Him. You are actually being submissive before Him. And that's the attitude that, that God is talking about here. The idea of being submissive and reverencing God. And that's what uh, is the beginning of wisdom. There is no obedience uh, to God. There is no following wisdom unless you fear God. Why should you... Uh, obey the law? Why should you put your parking coupon on your car? Why, why, why should you uh, not steal? Uh, is it because it's just wise to? No. Because you fear God, isn't it? You fear God's judgment. Unless you fear God, you will not fear the smaller fears. Uh, this is what uh, another pastor said. Unless you fear God, you will fear the ridicule of other people. Unless you fear God more, you will fear losing out to other people. Unless you fear God more, uh, you will fear all the small things in life which will stop you from actually being wise in your life. So when you think about it, the wise man begins with the fear of the Lord and therefore he is able to embrace wisdom. He is able to live the righteous life. The fool doesn't fear God and therefore he is able to love folly and live for today because he doesn't live for eternal life and therefore he lives a wicked life. You see, if you look up here on the last slide that I have, the next one, right? In the beginning, it talks about Lady Wisdom on top of the hill, and again, Lady Folly or Madam Folly on, on another hill. And I think the commentary is really like, in, in the olden days, if you go to, I guess, all the ancient cities of the world, usually, what is at the highest point of the city? It is the temple. The temple is at the highest point of the city. And therefore, when, when wisdom is calling out from one high point and uh, folly is calling out from another high point, they are, they are actually calling out from their respective temples in a sense, right? So wisdom is not just uh, secular wisdom, it's actually the personification of God's wisdom. It's an embodiment of God's wisdom. And she's calling out with, uh, with uh, God's voice in a sense and calling you to follow God. But on the other hand, folly is calling you from man-made religion. It's calling you from the high point where man makes uh, the center of his life. So, so who will you choose? Which, which hill will you go up to? Which temple will you go to worship? Wisdom, which, which leads you or brings you to the fear of the Lord, or folly, which uh, says enjoy yourself and put yourself at the center of life. Because we know from what we've seen here from the book of Proverbs, folly will not satisfy, but wisdom will. Wisdom will give you long life, eternal life, but folly will give you judgment. C.S. Lewis again said that the problem with us as humans is not that our desires are too strong, but our desires are too weak. We are too easily satisfied, we are too easily pleased. And uh, what he was saying was we are too easily pleased with what folly gives us, the stolen food, and sorry, stolen water and the food eaten 
in secret. We think that's very satisfying, but we, we don't realize that actually it's, it's very cheap and it's not uh, good stuff at all. He was saying that you know, we are like children living in a slum, playing with mud, and we're happy with that. And that's what folly gives us. But God is offering us a villa uh, by the most beautiful beach resort. But we are happy with the small things that folly gives us. But isn't it better to have the full, infinite richness and joy of what God is giving us through wisdom? So, ultimately, where are you going in your life? Are you walking the path of wisdom and the fear of the Lord? Or are you walking the path of folly where you hate wisdom and you really detest uh, changing your life? Because I think uh, all of us don't like to be fools, right? And I think don't anybody want to be called a fool? All right. I don't think that's a title that we will be proud of. And I think I hate being made a fool, right? Um, I, I just came back from a tour and I remember we went on this tour. People were selling us these trinkets, right? And then you, 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 some people buy and then maybe a few miles down the road or a few days later, you, you see the same things for half the price. And you really feel like a fool, Okay, no one really wants to be like that. And I think that if you can think about it that way, then that's the same because if you follow folly in this life, you are pleased with the stolen food, the stolen water, the illicit pleasure, the following of your sinful nature in this world, then at the end of your life, when you look back, you will feel like you've made such a big mistake. It was such a foolish decision to make. Because you, you gave your life to the wrong things and you, you, you orientated your life to the wrong direction and you lost eternal life. And, and I hope that if you reflect on Proverbs chapter 9, not what I'm saying, but reflect on what Proverbs chapter 9 says, then you will fear God and you will choose wisdom. That you will not be a mocker. That you will be wise. That you will be humble and willing to recognize that, yes, I'm wrong. I need to change. I need to keep sitting under the obedience of God and listening to His Word and uh, turning away from my sinful nature. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Fathers, we come before you today. We really pray that for each and every one of us here who is listening to, the, to your Word in the book of Proverbs chapter 9, that we will not be taken in by the false uh, advertising of uh, Madame Folly for the short-term pleasures of this world, uh, but to know, to really know, because you've opened our eyes, uh, where that path leads. That it leads only to disappointment, it leads only to death, it leads only to the grave and to uh, judgment. Dear Father, help us to see that you are a God who truly loves us and that you want us to receive the best. And that uh, if we follow uh, wisdom, if we know the fear of you, we will have the best in this life and the life to come. And we pray that we will be humble, all of us, that we will not be mockers, that we will not hate instruction, but rather we will love instruction, we will want to change. Because we know that uh, we are on the wrong road and we need to, to change to be on the right road in following you. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.